Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo. Uh, it's finally the Roar Lions Radio Ohio State preview extravaganza. By now, you might have already listened to our interview with uh, Kevin Harris from Eleven Warriors. But now that that's out of the way, he is the enemy, and we decided we were going to get the whole crew here tonight. Uh, Nick Pollock is here. Nick, what's going on? I decided I'm going to end episodes from now on with quotes from The Office. Ooh, okay. Did LSU's band, like, inspire you to do Office-themed stuff, or was it just, you know, The Office is your usual go-to? Yeah, I'd say the fact that I'm watch- currently watching through it for, like, the 78th time probably inspired it. Go outside. Speaking of people who need to go outside more, Matt DeBear. Matt, what's going on? Not much, Bill. Just uh, back from behind enemy lines after uh, spending some time with the 11 warriors folks on the radio not too long ago. Yeah. And now, now between that and between uh, us doing a podcast with 11 warriors, maybe we'll have some other content later in the week. Who knows? I certainly don't. Uh, it's time to talk about this game, uh, Penn state and Ohio state. Uh, I don't think it is a stretch. In fact, I'd say it's a, it's a pretty cold take to say, uh, that this is the game of the college football year so far. The number nine Nittany Lions hosting the number four Buckeyes uh, in S&P Plus. Ohio State is number two. Penn State is number six. Th- these teams are, for my money, the two best teams in the Big Ten. Get out of here with that Michigan nonsense. Uh, I'm not buying that. This game, it's, it, it is the game in the Big Ten this season. This is the game to... D- for my money, to determine who is going to win the Big Ten East. Oh, it's a whole lot of stuff. Uh, a whole lot of weird stuff happens. But uh, I think the best thing for us to do is kind of take that step back, take a 10,000-foot view of this game, go through Penn State's offense, Penn State's defense, concerns, optimisms, stuff like that, talk about potential X factors, and strip away at this game that way. Uh so I want to start on the offensive side of the ball, Nick. I want to start with you. Going into the game of the year, what is the biggest thing, and this is a pretty broad question, the biggest thing for Penn State's offense against Ohio State? Running the football. Penn State needs to continue to be able to run the football because, and it's not necessarily that they are not capable of having consistency in the passing game, but they just haven't yet due to, mostly due to drops. But I think this, I mean, this offense is clearly at its best when Miles Sanders is ripping off huge chunks of yardage and against an Ohio state uh, rushing defense. That is very, very average, at least by the, uh, at least by the numbers this year. And that is partially uh, inflated due to the fact that, so many of the teams they've been facing have been behind and probably not running all that much. But we know that Ohio State's linebackers are definitely the weakness of their defense. So I think Miles Sanders and Ricky Slade and Trace McSorley running the ball is the key. Uh, Matt, same question to you. Well, I think it's the same thing I've been harping on since you know, after week one. It's just execution. Whether it's in the running game or the passing game, the, really the only thing that stopped Penn State so far this year has been Penn State. Um, you know, obviously not every drive ended in a touchdown or points, um, but for the most part, it's been penalties, it's been drop passes, it's been missed assignments on the offensive line that have slowed down Penn State's offense. And 
when they're clicking, as we've seen really for the most part for the last two games, not for 60 whole minutes, which is another thing that I think we can talk about as on the whole, it's been they've they're scoring 56 points a game and they haven't really hit on all cylinders yet. So they've been able to get away with that because of who they've been going up against, but against a team like Ohio State, despite all the the opportunity they're gonna have with the perceived weaknesses, especially at linebacker like Nick mentioned catch the ball don't don't commit penalties that are mental errors don't don't shoot yourself in the foot don't turn the ball over and and things are going to take care of themselves from an offensive standpoint they're too good they're too talented on offense to to be to be stopped i think consistently unless they do it to themselves for me it's it's a matter of getting to that second and that third level of that Buckeye defense. I mean, the one thing we've seen out of Penn State this year is that, you know, for, it will make mistakes, but when it is able to break off plays and it's able to get Miles Sanders and KJ Hamler and whomever else in situations where they have to make a guy miss or they have to dance past a dude. They cannot they can do that. They can get those big plays and it can lead to points. Uh, this year, Penn State, Penn State running the football. Fifth in opportunity rate, 24th in stuff rate. It has been very, very good at getting, at making those big plays in the running game and getting past the line of scrimmage, which is something that hasn't necessarily been the case. The thing is, Ohio State's front is a beast the likes of which Penn State has not gone against this year. So if that offensive line can, one, keep Trace McSorley upright, which even with Nick Bosa out could be a bit of an issue, and two, give Miles Sanders and Trace McSorley and Ricky Slade room to get to that second level against a Buckeye linebacking core and a Buckeye secondary that hasn't really proven itself yet. There is a chance that Penn State's offense can put up some serious, serious points against Ohio State, uh, even though they are 18th nationally in defensive S&P+. Plus. The question, the single biggest question, is on the other side of the ball. Uh, and Matt, we'll start with you. I mean, Ohio State's offense has been, you know, 77 against Oregon State, 52 against Rutgers, 40 against TCU, 49 against Tulane. It hasn't gone on the road yet this year, but those numbers do not lie. This Ohio State defense has, uh, offense rather, has been lights out this season what for you is the biggest thing for Penn State's defense as it heads into in yeah into this game I'm sorry I thought you uh you hung up on me there yeah um I, 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 I briefly <laughs> I forgot how to speak. You did. it was fun. he wanted to I wanted well you know I was going to Matt so I kind of wanted to but yes Matt please go ahead well, I think it's, and I, I feel like we're beating the, the drum over and over here, but we've all watched the same team for four weeks, and it's it's tackling. It's getting to the ball carrier. It's making sure the first guy gets there, or at least you know brings the ball back towards the heart of the defense. And just too many times, and really all four games, you know, even in the Kent State game early on, there have just been too many chances to stop a guy for two yards and he gets away and he gets six or stop a guy for a loss of two and he gets back to the line of scrimmage. And those little things can add up so quickly 
especially with a team with so much talent, you know, at running back, we'll start there with Mike Weber and J.K. Dobbins. And we haven't even really seen Dwayne Haskins yet this year run the ball, but he's certainly capable of doing it. And they're going to be tested just on that level before we even talk about guys like Paris Campbell at wide receiver who are more than good enough to, to make you miss in the open field and fast enough to run by you. So it's, it's get to the ball carrier, get to the quarterback, and when you get there, make the tackle and, and end the play there. Don't, don't give them second life within the play itself. Yeah, I mean, if Ohio State gets to a point where, uh, you know, it, it's kind of the same thing that Penn State has in its offense. Like, Penn State has guys like Miles Sanders, guys like K.J. Hamward, guys like Juwan Johnson, guys like DeAndre Tompkins who can make plays. Well, Ohio State has those guys, too. And it really is, like you said, Matt, a matter of grabbing them, taking them down and not letting them do too much. Ohio State this year in success rate is second in college football. They are getting at least four yards on, I believe it's four or six yards, something like that. They're first down, second downs, third down, whatever. They are doing what they have to do. And if Penn State can throw a monkey wrench in that, I think there are plenty of reasons for optimism. The big concern is that beyond a rushing attack with Dobbins or whatever, it's been very good. Dwayne Haskins has been lights out this year, completing almost 76% of his passes, 16 to one touchdown interception ratio. He's not getting sacked all that much. 10 yards per attempt, almost 14 per completion. This Ohio State passing attack, kind of surprisingly, because this isn't what we're really used to out of the Buckeyes, is what Penn State has to focus on beating and almost kind of has to say, we'll let the rushing game you know, we'll let that beat us to whatever extent we can. It's this passing game that I think has the potential to really break this game open. Uh, Nick, uh, in Slack, I just kind of called an audible to you. Uh, So far, Ohio State has played one game uh, against a Power 5 team, and yes, that is all disrespect to Rutgers uh, when they played TCU. Went down to Jerry World. Final was 40-28. to It shouldn't have been quite that big of a gap because the lying, stinking refs gave Ohio State a touchdown when it should have been a safety. Neither here nor there. In that game, TCU, 28 points, 511 yards of total offense, 308 through the air, 203 on the ground. My question, kind of looking at that TCU game, is there anything from that and how TCU attacked the Buckeyes that you think Penn State can apply to this game? Yeah, definitely. And uh, to the point you said, the the adjusted scoring margin for that game was only 3.1. So by the stats, uh, Ohio State really should have only won that game by about a field goal, which I think if you watched it is a pretty fair assessment. Um, I think the first takeaway from that game for me is, dear God, thank you that uh, Nick Bosa is not playing this weekend. Secondly, I think the, I think, I mean, again, anyone who watched this game is very well aware that the damage that TCU was able to inflict upon Ohio State, both offensively and defensively, was all centered around speed. They were very, very fast on both sides of the ball. On offense, they were throwing just wide receiver screen after wide receiver screen. I mean, I swear, I saw like, I swear they threw like eight wide receiver screens in a row on the first drive. It was ridiculous, but they were just trying to get to the ball, trying to get the ball to their playmakers as quickly as possible and trying to let their guys do work in open space against an Ohio State defense that beyond that defensive line has questions. Um, 
I don't know if Jordan Fuller played in that game for Ohio State. I want to say he didn't. He did. Um, he did. Yeah, he did. Okay. Then that was his first game back. Um, then and they've been a little banged up to start the season on defense, but still, it's. I mean, that was a major. I think that's the major thing that Penn State has to take away from watching that game is that speed and playmakers are going to be able to do damage against the Buckeye defense. So whatever that ends up looking like for Penn State, I mean, like I said, I think early on, especially they're really going to try to do some work to establish the run. And I'm going to hopefully be able to write about this on the site for Friday, but I think Penn State's offensive line against Ohio State's defensive line is not obviously a critical matchup. I mean, that that's a critical matchup every game. But I think it's also the one of the most interesting because Penn State's offensive line to this point looks like they're pretty great. Mm-hmm. They haven't played great competition, so it's hard to really know for sure. But we know offense, um, Ohio State's defensive line is awesome, even without Nick Bosa. So that's going to be one of the most interesting battles to watch. And I expect to see, the, I expect to see Ricky Ronnie try to figure out pretty early on is this going to be the kind of game where my line is going to be able to open up holes for sanders um because if they can get him the ball and continue to put in positions to rack up double digit yards on every single carry like has been recently then obviously that's a great way to get the ball to your playmakers but one thing i noted in my um passing chart for trace mcsorley that i uh posted this week they haven't really done much of anything in terms of wide receiver screens. For the season, McSorley has only thrown four passes behind the line of scrimmage. And that is, I think, a sharp contrast to last year where we see where we saw lots of dump-offs to Barkley, lots of screens to Barkley, and lots of bubble screens to guys like Deshaun Hamilton. So I'm curious to see how much Penn State goes to that well against Ohio State because they saw how effective it was for TCU but that hasn't really been their game plan this year. And to be fair, it's could very much have just been a function of who they were playing. No disrespect to App State. App State looks like a really, really awesome team. So I'm curious to see how much they do in that regard. And then defensively, it's TCU, again, was just flying around the ball all night. They forced uh, a couple third downs early on Ohio State, and that kind of got the tide turned in their direction to, to start the game until... Ohio State picked up what they're like 21 points in six minutes, something like that. So I think that I think that Brent Pry is going to potentially maybe toss an extra blitzer in there early on to see what kind of pressure they can get through that Ohio State offensive line. Um, but really, I I maybe the thing I'm most interested in seeing on the defense is just who starts. I mean, it's yeah. I don't think it's yeah. I don't think it's out of line to say that. Micah Parsons is probably faster both uh, foot speed wise and game speed wise than Koa Farmer. And that's, I mean, that's saying something. Um, Ellis Brooks out snapped Jan Johnson last week. And again, that was a function of the game itself and how the game flow went, but he's looked pretty good the past two weeks. So I, I think who they start on defense could be telling. Yeah. And one final, just like quick thing about that TCU game before we get Get, get kind of back on the track that we were going to trudge down. It, when you mentioned TCU speed, that didn't just necessarily apply to the players. TCU also played incredibly fast, really on both sides of the ball. It was especially prominent on offense. They were getting a playoff. They were running up to the line. They were getting that next playoff. On defense, 
they're flying around. They're once a play ends, they're getting back to where they need to be. They're ready for the next play. And really, it could be when Penn State is feeding off of that crowd, if they want to play fast on both sides of the ball and play aggressive and try and make those big plays, I mean, they kind of need to do that to win this football game. And, you know, fingers crossed that they do. Uh, the next thing I want to talk about is just the biggest cause, uh, and Matt, we'll go to you on this. As we're heading into this game, for you, what is the biggest cause for optimism? It could be something with players. It could be something with coaching. It could be the fact that it's in Happy Valley. It could be early in the year. There are any of a million things that you can pick here. I'm going to cheat and say two, and hopefully one of them is Nick, so I stole his answer. Yeah, go ahead. But I, I think the biggest one is one that, Bill, you and I have talked about a lot this year, and that's Trace McSorley. And he's really helped this team you know, very – very literally against Appalachian state win the game. But from a, a big picture standpoint, his leadership and his dare I say moxie has kind of helped this young team find its way when things haven't really been going exactly the way they drew them up. And I think one of your big worries with the young team is when things don't go well, it kind of spirals out of control. And McSorley as much as anyone, both in his play and in his just general demeanor, has really been, I think, critical in keeping things pointed the right direction when Appalachian State goes down the field and takes the lead late or they have the really um, slow start to the pit game and the really poor two-and-a-half, three-quarters against Illinois. You never really saw him get rattled. It was just, we're going to keep doing what we do and eventually we're going to make some plays and eventually it's all going to kind of work itself out. The other one is, and I think this one's kind of an answer a lot of people would give with the same question, is it's, and you kind of alluded to it when you asked me the question, Bill, is it's in Happy Valley, it's a whiteout, it's game day, it's a night kickoff. It's all of those intangibles that I think through the last two plus years now have really all played to Penn State's advantage. They are very, as you would say with a lot of teams, a very different team at home than they are on the road. I think part of that is just the general confidence. I think part of that is there's a hundred and some thousand people there behind you. I think it's they're they're a really good team, but we've seen going back to James Franklin's first game against Ohio State in 2014, when I think everyone would admit that Penn State was just totally outmanned from a talent standpoint, from a number standpoint, um, with against the eventual national champions that year. And a team that probably had no business taking that game to double overtime got it to double overtime. Um, and, you know, had a, even had a chance to win that game. Obviously, things didn't play their way. In 2015 in Columbus, you know, I'm kind of, I guess I'm not making my point well by bringing up that game. But they played Ohio State well. They played them hard. Then you go back to the last two years. They have gotten up for big games. Wait, big wait, games. what? They played them well in 2015? For for three quarters, they were they had a, they were driving with with a chance to pull within one early in the fourth quarter in that game, before a turnover on downs. Yeah, I mean, well, I I will push back a bit, but I'm not going to say that like, you know, Penn State was a bunch of world beaters in that 2015 game. But it's more that like they managed to be able to stay in that game despite the fact that Ohio State was a markedly better football team, and Penn State was starting every drive from its own three-yard line. I'm guessing that's what you're trying to say, Matt. 
Yes, thank you. And I, I'm mad at Nick for, for butting in there. Well, no, because I mean, Nick, <laughs> Nick, I'm, Nick, I'm not mad at me. Nick just served a very important purpose and that it like gave us room for clarity. So thank you, Nick. You, uh, you get one gold star for that one. This is why I call on students in class who I know are going to give me the wrong answer. <laughs> but yes, continue, but th- just to, to wrap that up, I guess is they have they've played well in in big games against te- you know the the big name teams, and at home they've been especially good. They really haven't you know the Michigan game last year, Ohio State two years ago. They have showed up to play in the big games. They've showed up in the big moments at home, and as I've said a few times in this podcast now throughout the year they're a good team and when all those things click and i think there's the reason for optimism is there's no reason to think this isn't the week that some of those things at least start to click because of of all the intangibles that go around the game with with the everything at stake yeah i trace it cannot be said enough trace mcsorley has never lost a football game in beaver stadium that is I, we're going on two and a half years of him being the team's starting quarterback. That's a very, very, very difficult thing to accomplish, and yet he's managed to do it. I mean, for me, the reason for optimism is that, listen, Urban Meyer is a top five, top ten coach in college football history. He's a very, very good football coach. He has very, very good players, and that is a recipe that Uh, If you follow that, you're going to be able to win a bunch of games and rack up national titles and stuff like he has done over his career. The thing is, for some reason, James Franklin just knows how to coach against him. Like you mentioned, Matt, even in the games last year, Ohio State was the... If you just look at the numbers, Ohio State has been the better football team in every game that Penn State has played against them. However, Penn State has always managed to either A, be right there or B, win the football game as it did in 2016. When you factor in that this is also, for my money, the most talented team that James Franklin has had, and this is, I don't, I think there's maybe two or three programs that man-to-man can match talent with Ohio State. Penn State is a half step behind the Buckeyes. And when you are a half step behind a football team, and you know how to play and win against them, and you've been in this situation before against them, and you are playing in your home stadium at night in a game in which like 110,000 people might, like there's a, I don't, if they let them put that many people in, I would not be surprised if this gets close to an attendance record in Happy Valley. Like this game is going to be absolutely insane. When I just look at all those things together, and I look at what this Penn State has done this year and what it has shown it is capable of at its best, whether it's hanging 35 points in a quarter on Illinois or coming out after the half against Kent State and Pitt and just pouring it on and being able to be in close games and then get into a groove. I feel comfortable in this game, and I'm not going into this game as a fan as someone who is scared. Nick, for yourself, looking at reasons for optimism, what are they? For me, I think I think this is you kind of touched on. It. I think this is the most the closest the teams have been in recent history in terms of talent and in terms of just what they have put on the field thus far. I think I think they're actually very similar teams, um, but I think the current talent level is probably as the the margin between them is as small as it's ever been. Um, well, in recent history. And in a game like that, 
when and let me make it clear that I think Dwayne Haskins is an incredible quarterback and I think he's unbelievably talented and is just exactly exactly what this Ohio Ohio State offense needed in the wake of JT Barrett's departure but in a game where the talent is this close to being even when both defenses are shaky and both offenses are thriving the fact that Penn State has the guy at quarterback who is been in this situation multiple times in his career and has proven that he can handle this situation that makes me feel pretty optimistic yeah and I I think it's only fair to look at things on the other side of the coin and say what are uh, the reasons for concern and I'll go first it has basically been that Penn State's passing defense well, really just it's defense in general. Like, they've been good at the line of scrimmage. They are 34th nationally in sack rate, 17th in stuff rate. So basically, if you are getting, if they are able to get to you in the backfield, if you're running the football, they're going to do that 27% of the time. If you're throwing the football, they're going to do that 8% of the time. Those are both elite, no, not elite, they're both very, very good numbers. The thing is, if they are able to get past the line of scrimmage, Penn State's rushing marginal efficiency is 73rd nationally, explosiveness is 88th nationally, and opportunity rate 85th nationally. It's passing marginal efficiency, 61st nationally, and completion percentage, 54th nationally. Both pretty solid, and they've been very good at limiting explosive passing plays. Uh, they haven't exactly gone against Aaron Rodgers. Outside of, you know, Zach Thomas, who is actually Aaron Rodgers, neither here nor there. So Better. Yeah, I was going to say that's unfair to Zach. He's better than Aaron Rodgers. When I look at this game and I look at what Ohio State's offense has been able to do, again, hasn't gone up against competition that I think anyone would say is elite. TCU is a pretty good football team. Uh, again, I wouldn't go out and say they're elite. Uh, Oregon State and Rutgers. They lost to Texas, and Texas lost to Maryland. Well, the thing it's listen, it takes Texas a week or two to be back, Nick. It, they have to get calibrated to be fully bre- back. They are, and then, and then for, they leave again. Yes, for whatever reason, uh, Maryland is, turns into the greatest football team of all time against the University of Texas. I have no idea what that's about. Neither here nor there. Oregon State and Rutgers, two of the worst FC, uh, two of the worst Power Five teams in college football. Rutgers, I believe, is actually the worst Power Five team in college football. Tulane might also be the worst FCS team, like you started to say. Yeah, well, I, it, we can't rule it out. I think that's the important thing. Tulane, not exactly great, but still 77, 52, 40, and 49 points. The numbers don't lie. This is a very good, very, very explosive offense that is capable of taking what you give them. Penn State has to basically go into this game and go, we cannot let them make big plays, and whenever an opportunity comes up, we have to get their offense off of the field. Like, that is just paramount. You cannot let this Buckeye offense get into any kind of a groove because this Ohio State's offense is capable of doing what Penn State's offense has done to teams, and that is just pour it on when it really, really gets cooking. Uh, Nick, over to you. Uh, What is your big cause for concern uh, heading into this one? For me, it's Penn State's linebackers and the rushing defense in general against Ohio State's rushing game. I know that their heartbeat so far this season has been Dwayne Haskins in the passing game. But again, like you said, this is going to be their toughest test of the season. This is going to be their biggest game so far. 
And especially when you're on the road in a game like this, you have to try to establish the run. I think that goes twofold when you're going up against a defense like Penn State's that's had these shaky moments and has been iffy. You don't want to become one-dimensional and allow a defense that has been shaky to focus on one thing. You want to make sure you're trying to keep them off balance, and the Penn State rushing defense has been pretty much as inconsistent as they come. Uh, This is going to be something that's posted on the site on Thursday morning, but as I wrote, I mean, they looked pretty good against App State for three quarters, and then Jalen Moore just obliterated them in the fourth quarter. They got completely run over by Kadri Olsen and Pitt in the first half, and then in the second half, they were the steel curtain. They wouldn't didn't let anything go get going in the running game. They continued that through the Kent State game, nothing going on the ground, and then Illinois kind of gashed them a little bit, 245 rushing yards, so... They've been really inconsistent, and they have yet. And uh, Jalen Moore is really, really good, and I think Jalen Moore is going to end up being one of those guys that gets drafted in like the fifth round and ends up like a eight-year starter in the NFL. Um, I think he's really, really good. But no disrespect to him, J.K. Dobbins is better, and Mike Weber. I don't know if he's better, but Mike Weber with J.K. Dobbins is a really good combination. So Penn State hasn't faced a cal a running back group the caliber of Ohio State's and the fact that they have been shaky against units that are worse than those two already this year is a little concerning. Matt, over to you. Uh, big causes for concern on Saturday night. Oh, I think we've touched on the big ones. You know, the, And I think that's the same ones everyone else has is can Penn State's defense stop Ohio State, whether it's through the air or on the ground. But to go off the radar a little bit, I'm going to go with kind of special teams in general for two reasons. One, this game the last two years has really swung on special teams play. In 2016, there was obviously the the blocked field goal and the return for a touchdown that everyone remembers, but there were a number of special teams miscues in that game. I think Penn State blocked a punt, Penn State muffed a punt, Penn State had the bad snap on the punt, Penn State had a field goal blocked. Lots of weird things happened in that game. And then last year, I think the play that really swung it – you know, the momentum to Ohio State in the second half was when they blocked uh, Blake Gillikin punt that kind of ignited their comeback. And so you've got this history in the series in the last two games, and it's certainly something that Urban Meyer puts a huge emphasis on. I know we've been joking about it all week. You know, Urban Meyer coaches special teams himself. But on top of that, you have a Penn State special teams unit that in the first game gave up not only the first kickoff of the season for a touchdown but also had the surprise onside kick and then had it happen to him again two weeks later. On top of that, Jake Pinnegar, while he's only had, I think it's the three opportunities to attempt a field goal, he's missed two of them. Not in ideal conditions, obviously, but there is some question there, especially when you know that the head coach of the other team is looking at that and looking for that to be a, a big opportunity for a big play. Special teams plays are just so underrated in the in the sense that their ability to to really swing games and and ignite comebacks or kill momentum and Penn State hasn't shown that level of consistency quite yet through four games where I'm 100% confident that they're going to be able to cover the kickoff or they're going to be able to make that 37-yard field goal in the midway through the fourth quarter that's going to make it a 10 score game or a 10 point game 
instead of leave it as a 7.1 score game. And just given the history and some of the weird things that have happened the last two years, I think that's something that we probably haven't talked enough about, but I think it's something that we really should be ready for to have an impact one way or another on Saturday. And in games like this, it's very, very frequent that they come down to they come down to X factors. They come down to those one things, whether it's one big play, one big moment, one player, anything like that. The crowd, the uh, you know, someone getting scared in a moment where they can't. Uh, Matt, we'll start with you on this one. What is the single biggest X factor for you? that can end up deciding this game either way. I don't know why exactly I feel this way. I'm going to try and explain it. I think I know how to to explain it, but it's KJ Hamler. And I think his ability is, is certainly apparent. We've seen it through four games and he's really had a knack for making the big play when you need it, which is kind of what I was talking about with special teams, whether it is on a, a kick return or we've seen him back there fielding punts or, a big play element in the the offensive game, whether it be as a receiver, as we saw him on the, the, the jet sweep against Pitt for the first touchdown. I think his ability in that he's the one big guy on Penn state's offense and in the return game that you feel like when that ball gets in his hands, there's a chance it's going for six. It's not going to happen every time, but it's kind of that you're in the stadium and you hit the, the crowd kind of gets that, that energy where you just kind of feel that, they see him back there getting ready to return the punt, or they see him back there ready to, ready to return the kickoff, and you just feel like there's a chance something's going to happen. But I think the X factor part of that for me is the kid just is totally fearless, and I think that's an amazing quality for a, a player as young as him. He's not a true freshman, but it's kind of one of those, he doesn't know what he doesn't know yet, and he just is so oblivious to the moment that you kind of feel like this is the kind of game where you kind of need that sort of mindset. I, I I think about that with regards to the Appalachian state kick return late in the game where a hundred and however many thousand people were left in the stadium at that point, late in the fourth quarter, Penn state down seven, the kick goes about five yards into the end zone and he's not even sure he wants to bring it out right away, but he decides, and he said after the game, that he knew his team needed a play and he was going to make one. And I think in two years, or even in, you know, later this year, he probably doesn't do that because he kind of knows better and he's been coached a little bit more. But he's going into his fifth game as a college football player. And I just don't think he really understands in the big picture how how big this is and and how big this moment could be. And I kind of expect whether it is a game changing play or not, I think he's going to have a big game. And I think that's the kind of player that you need in a, in a game like this, where mm-hmm. big plays are mm-hmm. going to be so big and, and you need that kind of, I don't care what's going to happen. I'm going to make a play here. Mindset. Uh, Nick, same question to you. Because I'm a man of the people, I will go ahead and say... You're going to take mine. Damn it, you took mine. I was going to actually weed into it by chanting Tommy and see if you guys were all going to catch on. But, (laughs) yeah, continue. Uh, Yeah, I think it... I 
let me I think it could be Tommy Stevens. I think I I mean we don't no one none of us really know what to expect from him in this game. Yeah, I think we're all pretty much on the same page that he is healthy and fully healthy and as Franklin said could have played in the last two games. But last year Stevens did not see the field against Ohio State, did not see the field against Michigan State. So they seemed a little hesitant to break out these line packages in their biggest games. So I'm one, just curious to see how much he actually plays in this game. But two, I'm curious to see how they use him Um, against a team like Ohio State. This year being a little bit different since the linebackers are struggling, but I, I don't disagree with their lack of usage of him in the big games last year because his presence on the field is the kind of thing that you that almost is more effect, it's more effective against teams that um, wouldn't be able to stick a linebacker on him and cover him. He's he's a really athletic guy, but a linebacker could probably cover Tommy Stevens. Um, you would lose something in the height department most likely, but probably able to do it. But I'm just really interested to see how they use him. Like we've seen the last two years when Penn State has these whiteout games, they usually or really just any big home game, especially the night games in the last few years under Joe Moorhead, they always saved some sort of special special play, special package that they would break out in these games. Personally, I think it would be really cool to see Stevens line up next to McSorley and then run some sort of read option where either one is just as much to just as much a threat to throw the ball as they are before the mesh point. But I I think they I think there could be some really interesting things they could do with Stevens. Um I I don't know if it necessarily will be a game deciding play, but just giving something else for Shiano and Urban Meyer and the Buckeye defense to think of and Alex Grinch and the Buckeye defense to think about with Stevens could be a could be the sort of advantage that Penn State needs to put themselves over the top. Yeah, I, I was, I was basically going to say like it's, it's the fact that Tommy Stevens hasn't played this year, and they've kept like it's felt like. And Matt mentioned this on the Illinois pod. Good Matt, not uh, the Matt that's on here now. Mentioned on the Illinois pod that it, based on going to practice, it's looked like Tommy Stevens has been able to play for a few weeks, and I know that they've never busted out the Tommy package in a big game. But I just can't fathom that... With, if, the, with the exception of the Iowa game at night a few years ago. Right, right. With, but even then, like, that wasn't, like, the huge game because Penn State... Because, you know, the Iowa team wasn't that good. And it was, it was in Happy Valley. Penn State was, you know, got up early. Like, Saeed Blacknall made Desmond King look like a chump. Like, that kind of stuff. This is a kind of game where it's... Like, this game could come down to a few plays. And, like, Tommy Stevens hasn't played in the... Hasn't been able to be Tommy in those games. But the fact that he hasn't played leads me to believe that this is going to be the game where we see Tommy Stevens this season and Penn State draws up some absolutely bonkers stuff with him to get him the football and to have him be in a position where, even if he's not making plays... He's making Ohio State think he's going to make plays, and that opens things up for other guys. Uh, the kind of second thing, uh, so I'm not just Jack and Nick's answer. Uh, for me, it's the fact that Dwayne Haskins has never played in this 
type of environment before. I believe Ohio State has three new offensive linemen who have never played in this type of a game before. So even though Haskins has been a Heisman front, he, he might be uh, the Heisman favorite if Tua Tagovailoa falls off a little bit. While Ohio State's defense offensive line has been fantastic this year. While Chase Young, Chase Young is a great football player. He is not Nick Bosa. The linebackers, great, talented football players, haven't been great this year. Like, they're, this is a game where Penn State's never been in, a lot of guys in Penn State have never been in this kind of environment, but at least, like, they're waking up in their bed in the morning, and they're getting dressed in their locker room, and their fans are cheering them on. This is totally foreign for a whole lot of Ohio State players. And, like, it's silly because, you know, they're all very, very, very good football players. That's the kind of stuff that can determine this game. Like, is is uh, Dwayne Haskins a little bit more, uh, you know, is he a little off in a way that he hasn't been off in, uh, you know, he hasn't been off the season? Is uh, Michael Jordan, the Ohio State center, who said that the big stage of the TCU game got into his head and led to some low snaps, well, guess what, buddy? You are in a much bigger stage than playing against TCU in a neutral site game. How does that impact the game? How does the fact that their linebackers haven't been there that great this year impact the game now that they're going up against the best running back they've played this year? If those breaks go Penn State's way, I can see Penn State winning this game kind of comfortably. I, you know, I don't think it's going to be one of, one of those games where Penn State wins like, you know, 55 to 21 or anything. But as I'm looking for a prediction, like, my head is doing the thing where it's saying Ohio State's the second most talented team in the country. Urban Meyer is back. He's saying all the right things. Everyone is playing fantastic. But then there's just that thing in my gut where it says that if this game comes is close and it comes down to what team is able to get the job done in the fourth quarter, one team is at home, and that is Penn State. One team has a quarterback who has been in and won these games before. It's Penn State, and nothing that I say matters because I am just a doofus on the internet. Penn State, 45, Ohio State, 30, 35. We'll go 45-35. Matt, what do you think? I guess I'm kind of in the same boat as you, Bill, where in a sense, a lot of things, and it's easy, it's easy to lose sight of this when you're looking through it as closely as Penn State fans do. But this is an Ohio State team that has maybe not just as many questions as Penn State does, but they have enough questions where when you combine that with where Penn State is talented and experienced, like at quarterback, at receiver, on the offensive line, and then you add in the whiteout factor, the big-time night crowd, the uh, activities we will all be partaking in leading up to the game in the parking lots on Saturday, that... And I, I hesitate to do this because my mind is telling me that it's not as cut and dry as I want to think it is. But I feel like there's enough enough talent and then enough intangibles to make up for the difference in talent that Penn State's going to win this game. And I'm with you. I think it's going to be high scoring. I think the over-under is something like 72 as of this moment. And I think that gets blown away. I have this something like 45-41 Penn State. And Nick, what do you think? Hmm... So that, that leads me to believe that you're kind of taking 
the approach that I'm taking where your head's telling you Penn State, but Ohio State, but you think Penn State can win this game with a bunch of factors going their way. But you also might be a little bit skeptical that those things are going to go Penn State's way. Is that a fair read on this? Mm, no. Oh, <laughs> is Nick Pollock confident that Penn State's going to win this football game? I mean, first of all, I'm always confident that Penn State's going to win a football game. Um, for me, it comes down to what I said before. I think these are really similar teams. I think the only major difference between, I mean, on defense, both of their strengths line uh, are on the defensive line. They're both both of their biggest weaknesses are the linebackers. On offense, their receivers are they have a very good collection of receivers. They don't have one true standout, any of them. They both have very good running backs. And then at quarter, they both have good offensive lines, good to great offensive lines. At quarterback, Haskins gets it gets it done more with passing, and McSorley has a much uh, much better rushing profile. But both are very efficient. Both are when you factor both in, and you factor in the extremely small sample size that is boosting Haskins' uh, rushing efficiency rate. Their marginal officially marginal efficiency rates are basically the same. And I just again, I, if all things are fairly equal. If I have an opportunity to choose the team that's at home in a night game situation with a raucous crowd where they've proven that they can hang with teams arguably more talented than this iteration of the Ohio State team before with the more experienced quarterback who knows how to get it done in big games, then I am going to feel pretty good about that home team. So I'm going to say Penn State 48, Ohio Mm -hmm. State 39. Oh, I was hoping you were going to go like 31 or something like that. Just really pick Penn State to pour it on. I thought about it, but I can't quite do that. All right. Well, it's, it's going to be a fun one. I mean, the fact that Penn State is playing in what is shaping up to be the game of the year in college football or one of the games of the year in college football, and it's happening this early, and it has the implication that... How dare you ignore Oklahoma Army like that? Oh, that was so good. Oh, that was so good. Army is... Army is... Oh, God. When that full game gets put on YouTube, if it's not there already, that's going to be the highest viewed YouTube video of all time. Yeah, I I don't know who thought it would be a good idea to put an Oklahoma Army football game of the year of our award 2018 on pay-per-view for like 55 bucks. Uh, Blame Texas. Yeah, blame Texas. Uh, But I, yeah, I mean, that was just, whew, what a game. Oklahoma had a linebacker with 28 tackles and another with 23. It was real good. Uh, but yeah, I mean, in games that are going to be nowhere near as good as that, uh, let's look at this week's Big Ten slate. Uh, first off, we're going to uh, resident Michigan resider Matt DeBear. Uh, FS1 noon kick Central Michigan against Sparty. Uh, Matt, what do you see in this one? I don't think this is going to go well for the, uh, the chips. Um, Michigan State, I thought, kind of got back to what Michigan State does last week in, in Bloomington against a pretty good Indiana team in a place that weird things always seem to happen. Um, I'm not sure they're, they're not the 10 win team of a year ago, but th- yeah, this one I, I expect to kind of be one of those 31 you six know, kind of games where it wasn't even that close. Yeah, sure. That sounds right. I don't know a single thing about 
East, uh, Central Michigan or Eastern Michigan football for that matter. So let's not talk about this anymore. Instead, Rob Bolden. Oh yeah, our our beautiful baby. Never John, forget. Rob did go. Well, Cent- Central also had the god Dan Lefevre, but I don't know where Dan Lefevre is right now. Wherever he is, though, I hope he's doing well because he deserves that. Oh my goodness, would you look at this? It is time to play everyone's favorite game, the ticket price game, for the noon tilt on Big Ten Network. The Indiana Hoosiers, a uh, pretty <laughs> solid uh, football team. Uh, where did they? Oh, oh my! They fell twenty-two spots in S and P Plus following losing to Sparty last week. They're down to forty-five. Still a solid football program. Uh, has to uh, take a trip to the banks of the old Raritan to take on the Rutgers Scarlet Knights, which uh, suck. So let's play the ticket price game. Uh, Matt, we'll start with you. Uh, hello to StubHub. Let you list t- pr- tickets again. Two dollars. $2. I, uh, you have you have the New York factor, so I'll, I'll go like 5 bucks. Wow, look at that. Adjusting for uh, for New York. I appreciate that. You're the, you were the first person other than Jim Tulaney to acknowledge Rutgers' presence in New York. Th- that was uh, purely sarcastic and a joke. <laughs> Nick, what do you think? Man, I have no idea. I don't even know the other games in the Big Ten this week outside of Northwestern Michigan. Um, so this is the first time I'm hearing any of these. Well, hold on. I'm so gonna... Just letting you know, uh, Rutgers, Indiana is the only noon game other than Central against Sparty. Interesting. Okay. Um, I will guess $3. $3? I would have probably guessed something like 3 bucks. These are going for $7, which is more expensive than I thought it was going to be. Interesting. I Who's paying $7 to go see that? Um, I don't know, but there are 926 tickets available in a stadium that seats... I would pay seven dollars for that. If I lived around there, I would totally pay seven dollars to go watch Indiana play Rutgers. You, you couldn't pay me seven dollars to go watch a Rutgers football game. <laughs> so they're there are, so bad. Uh, fifty-two thousand four hundred and fifty-four seats in that stadium, and there are uh, a little under a thousand tickets left. So pretty. Uh, that seems pretty reasonable. Uh, but what I Sell do want to say, Nick and I. Uh, uh, we want to thank the Rutgers Scarlet Knights program for what they would have done to our wallets if we bet on uh, last week's game against Buffalo. Uh, if I hypothetically saw that the line was five and a half uh, before the game, I would have texted Nick and I would have said something to the extent of, will you put $40 on me? And Nick would have replied, sure, and I'm going to put 20 on it myself. And I would have gotten back uh, $78 and Nick would have gotten back a pretty good payday too. So, uh, yeah, thank you very much. But I would never, nor I would, would I never No, there. I'm sure it's in the Bible or something. We shouldn't do that. Uh, well, guess what's at three 30. I'll give you a hint. I have zero interest in watching this and I'll be very happy that I'm outside. Let me guess. Let me guess. Give me hints. Uh, let's see. One of them is a program that, wasn't expected to be as sad as they are. And one is a program. Minnesota. That, no, but you're not far off. Nebraska. I was, Nebraska is actually the other team, which was going to be, everyone expected them oh, to be sad, Purdue. but not that sad. It's Purdue, Nebraska. It's Purdue, Nebraska. It's in Lincoln at Memorial stadium. Um, three thirty kick on BTN. So <laughs> if you're sitting at home, and you fall asleep during like the third quarter of Indiana Rutgers and you take a nap, you're going to wake up to Purdue, Nebraska. Oh my God. Why would you watch that game? Uh, 
why are you starting by watching Indiana Rutgers? <laughs> well, maybe yeah. this person already has issues, so it actually yeah. kind of makes sense. There's so many good games on this weekend. Why <laughs> would you do this? Oh my god, BTN man, like, couldn't couldn't you have like tried to plan this out better? Good lord, uh, Purdue's going to win. Nebraska's Nebraska's just so bad right now, man. Like, do I? Do either of you have any reasons for optimism about Nebraska winning this football game, even if Adrian Martinez plays? Um, Maybe if Purdue's hungover from smacking around. Um, could they beat Boston College? Maybe? <laughs> I don't know. The, the only thing I can think of is the road game factor, but Nebraska's already lost to Troy and Colorado at home. And so I don't, I don't think that's a thing. Yeah. How dare, how dare you talk ill of Colorado and LaVisca Chenault? How dare you? Like they're, they're perfectly fine, but. but LaVisca Chenault. You make a compelling point by saying it the second time. Laviscus. Oh man. Okay, you've got me, Nick. Hell yeah. Thank you. Go go buffs. Uh actually this is our last Big Ten game of the weekend before uh the main event. Uh Michigan's heading to Northwestern. Um weird things happen in Evanston. Uh Northwestern, especially when they have good teams there can play up to the ability of their opponent. Having said that, um, Northwestern lost 21 to seven against Duke and 39 to 34 against Akron, uh, this, uh, this season at home. So meanwhile, Michigan looks pretty good. Um, I think this one has the potential to get very ugly. I don't know if it will be like fire Pat Fitz ugly, but it's not going to be a fun football game. Like, if you have a chance to do something else, I recommend doing it. Uh, Nick, what do you think? Michigan wins 16-15. Oh, God, that's <laughs> bad. Why? Because it just feels right. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Matt, what do you think? Well, I, everyone's kind of suddenly on this, this Michigan high because they've beaten three bad teams by a lot, which is kind of what they've done through the entire Jim Harbaugh era. I don't think Northwestern's great, but going on the road, like you said, Evanston can get kind of weird. I think Northwestern is not as good as we thought they were, but I don't think they're as bad as we now think they are. I think Michigan wins, but I think it's going to be, you know, 27, 20, ugly. 16, 15 is, is clearly Nick being funny, but it's going to be... It's gonna be a kind of Opin- a that is an opinion, kind of game. sir. That is an opinion. <laughs> it, it may not be sixteen fifteen, but it's gonna feel kind of sixteen to fifteen. How about that? You're right. It'll actually be thirteen twelve, but it'll <laughs> feel like sixteen fifteen. <sighs> oh, Eleven to five. Oh God! Please kill me. No, no, don't, don't be insane. But do <laughs> yes, please. Sorry, kill me. sorry. Thirteen to twelve. <laughs> you got me. Three two. No, no, no. Mississippi State and Auburn have already done that. We cannot uh, 
encroach on their turf. Phil, Phil, you need to end this before we go with, with what Six we're all fu- thinking. No, no, no. That's it. The podcast is over. Uh, subscribe, buy shirts, all that. Love you. Bye. No, 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 no. Like I promised. Yeah, go ahead. The worst thing about prison was the was was the Dementors. They were flying all over the place. They were scary. And then they'd come down and they'd suck the soul out of your body. And, and it hurt. Are you done? Yeah, I'm done. All right. Bye.